0: Support for Need to Know comes from the Carnegie Corporation of New York, supporting innovation in education, democratic engagement, and the advancement of international peace and security. Learn more at Carnegie.org. Welcome to the Need to Know podcast from the Wilson Center, a podcast for policymakers available to everyone. Always informative, nonpartisan, and relevant, we go beyond the headlines to understand the trend lines in foreign policy. Hello, I'm John Molusky, and this is Need to Know, a podcast produced by the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars. Well, two years ago, the U.S. withdrew its military forces from Afghanistan and the Taliban assumed control of the country. In our previous episode, we focused on the plight of Afghan refugees and those displaced within the country. Today, we're going to focus on the overall state of affairs under Taliban rule. My guest is the director of the Wilson Center South Asia Institute, Michael Kugelman. Michael, welcome. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you. Good to be here with you.
0: So, Michael, let me ask you this. On balance, where are we now in terms of where we thought we might be? In other words, nobody had great optimism about Taliban rule, but is it better, worse, or just about where we thought it would be when this withdrawal took place and analysts were looking ahead?
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. Uh, and I would argue just as bad as, uh, as many of us had assumed, particularly in terms of uh, Taliban uh, policies uh, especially uh, toward women and their their views on education and their general uh, approach to uh, to public policy and so on I mean we know what the state of affairs is in that level. I think that where there has been a bit of a surprise is in the areas of economic policy. I think that some analysts have been um, caught by surprise a bit by the fact that um, The Taliban have been able to generate revenues, they've been able to uh, keep the economy from completely collapsing, mainly through uh, taxation policies, customs, uh, uh, customs tariffs, other types of revenues generated by border trade. They've been able to come out with a budget. And, uh, you know, many have brought attention to the fact that corruption levels have actually gone down in Afghanistan since the Taliban took over. That could be contested. But so there is a basic bottom line is uh, as bad as as we all thought, but uh, some slight um, degrees of surprise in some areas.
0: Yeah. Well, one area that is really bad is things like food security. We're looking at a rolling humanitarian disaster uh, at the highest level. Are there any signs of hope in that regard? Are these Glimmers of hope that you describe in the economy, something that could generate more food production, some of the things that might alleviate some of this human suffering?
1: Uh, Unfortunately, no. I mean, the scale of the food insecurity is so large that uh, even though the Taliban has been able to... uh, keep things keep the macro economy from uh, from completely collapsing it's it's just not enough and in fact just a few days ago we learned that uh, you know one of the only safety nets that Afghanistan still has and that's um food aid from the UN food program it's being cut significantly um because of not enough funds from the international community uh and also quite frankly because um you know the UN is is uncomfortable working in Afghanistan because of these Bans that the Taliban have placed on women working for the UN, and in a a country like Afghanistan, you know it's very difficult to, uh, you know, for instance, enter households um, to provide food assistance if women can't do it. So it's just um, it's 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 just a very sad state of affairs. And you know the um, the the warnings of impending famine are not quite as strong as they had been because there has been enough food aid to um, you know to to tide over the country, but. It's it's just very bad.
0: So given all of those circumstances, in addition of that is the, the world seems to have this inability to walk and chew gum when it comes to the things that are happening globally. And Ukraine, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, natural disasters with extreme weather have really distracted people from Afghanistan, which two years ago was dominating headlines globally. How has that factored into the equation? Is Are we just... Have we moved on, even when there's still acute need?
1: yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of uh, of tragedies at play here uh, indeed, uh, because you have this you have so many acute humanitarian crises playing out across the world, some of which preceded the um the u s withdrawal from Afghanistan, some of which came after, it, especially the the uh, the war in Ukraine. But, uh, you know, we've seen a significant level of donor fatigue in Afghanistan. And I think that that can be attributed to several factors. One is what you just brought up. Indeed, I, I think that uh, there's an unwillingness to provide so much funding to so many different acute humanitarian crises. And I think particularly in the West, uh, you know, the donor community is very focused on Ukraine, which is important, which it should be. But that leaves Afghanistan in the lurch. But I think another factor here is that because the Taliban uh, is sanctioned by the U.S. government and and many other governments, I think there's a a level of discomfort with international donors providing food assistance, any type of assistance, even, you know, basic humanitarian assistance to the Taliban for fear that the Taliban will intrude, get in the way of that, and that could raise, you know, concerns about violating sanctions regimes and um And so on. But, you know, John, going back to your question of has the world moved on, it has not just the donor community, but so many others. And I would argue that 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 started well before the U.S. left Afghanistan. And If you go back to the last few years when U.S. forces were on the ground, you look at public opinion surveys in the U.S., it showed that many Americans um, weren't even aware that U.S. forces were still in Afghanistan. Uh, which is which is a bit uh, which is a bit uh, sobering to put it uh, to put it mildly. And I'm reminded of a, a comment that I, a commentator, his name is Dominic Tierney, uh, made some years ago. That when people bring up Afghanistan, it's sort of like mortality. People want to change the subject right away. He said that several years before U.S. forces left.
0: Well, you know the reason we talk about a withdrawal because it was predated by an invasion, which was predated by 9/11 and a desire to weed out an al-Qaeda stronghold, what do we know about uh, Afghanistan as a breeding ground for terrorism?
1: Right, yeah, I think that um, there has been some, um, uh, some rhetoric coming from some observers, and quite frankly, from, from, from some government officials, that I think might overstate the threat posed by terrorism emanating from Afghanistan. Certainly, there is terrorism in Afghanistan now. Uh, The Afghanistan faction of Islamic State, known as ISK, is very active and very potent, committing a lot of attacks in Afghanistan and also some in Pakistan and a few in in Central Asia as well. Um, Another concern is that the Taliban, which of course is in charge and controls pretty much every inch of territory in Afghanistan, has close ties with the terror groups that worry Um, the U.S. and and its allies and partners the most, particularly Al-Qaeda, ISK is an exception. That's a rival of the Taliban, but the Taliban have been unable to put an end to that group. But what I would say is that this notion of Afghanistan once again becoming a sanctuary for terrorist groups that pose a threat to the U.S. homeland and, and to the to the world on the whole, I think that's a bit overdone. I mean, there's no indications that al-Qaeda has the capacity to carry out a major attack like a 9-11. Um, and ISK, I mean, for all we talk about its potency. Clearly it has the capacity to carry out attacks in Afghanistan and in some surrounding countries, but not beyond that. So I think unless we start seeing um, indications of foreign fighters, say those um, militants that had fought with Islamic State in the Middle East, if we see them starting to come into Afghanistan and connect with with those terrorists there, that's when we'd have to start worrying, I think. You know, those who have been involved in these international terrorist uh, um, operations in the past, if, if we have an indication that they're coming into Afghanistan, that's when we have to worry. But there's no indication that we're seeing these inflows of foreign fighters into Afghanistan at this point. That said, of course, we should never be complacent, but I think it's also important not to overstate the threat posed by um, uh, terrorism from Afghanistan that could uh, pose a threat to the world on the whole.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now, uh, recent headlines... Uh, Drug trade booming. Fox News headline the other day, opium sales tripling in 2022 alone from Afghanistan. The Taliban says it has a four year plan to eliminate drug trafficking. Uh, Should we take that seriously?
1: Yeah, the drug policy story is a very interesting one. I mean, this has always been a major challenge in Afghanistan. And, you know, when, when the U.S. was present in Afghanistan, there were all kinds of different policies that were contemplated or implemented from considering uh, spraying pesticides on the, on the poppy fields, which was not implemented to uh, uh, an attempt to create alternative livelihood programs for poppy farmers so that they could be weaned away from poppy production. None of it worked. But yeah, the Taliban did indeed ban um, uh, poppy production. And uh, it appears they've been successful in that uh, some of the new figures recently released um, by a number of researchers, indicate that uh, poppy production has gone down significantly. But the reason it's worked is that the Taliban, of course, have used their you know their their brutality. They've essentially have coerced poppy farmers into stopping this, and they have not provided alternative livelihood programs. So you're really deepening the poverty crisis uh, in Afghanistan by taking a, a community that had contributed to a very profitable, albeit illicit sector, poppy production. And uh, you know, making them unemployed without any type of uh, any type of alternative, so yeah, so the good news is that uh, we have seen significant reductions in poppy production, but it leaves poppy farmers in a bad place, and there are indications that other types of drugs though um, other forms of drugs, other narcotics could uh, start to um, you can start to see uh, increases in in their production just because of you know efforts to find new ways to make a living and so on. Um, so anyway, it's it's a complicated story, but I guess the good news story is that poppy production has has decreased at least for
0: now. It, it, the whole picture that you've painted is one of a, a, a sort of a lockbox, right? It, it's there. It doesn't have great relations around the globe. The Taliban government. Uh, you've mentioned the UN is. Uh, a bit reluctant to deal directly because of all of the abuses of women and other types of policies that seem to be just part and parcel to the philosophy of the group. Given all of that, is there anything more that the international community can do?
1: Well, I mean, I think that um, ensuring that Afghanistan continues to feature in uh, in public and policy debates, uh, particularly in the, in the countries that tend to uh, provide the most... Uh, Assistance, humanitarian assistance—that's critical. And uh, you know, I should say uh, here at the Wilson Center, we're we're doing a lot of that. We've 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 been producing a number of activities meant to mark the very sad uh, anniversary, two-year anniversary of the Taliban takeover in Afghanistan. You you kindly are hosting me for this program. We've done a series of panel discussions and, and other things. That's the first step because I, I feel that um, you know the Washington has has tried to move on uh, from from Afghanistan and. Yeah, that's not it's not the right thing to do. I do think that beyond that on a, on a policy level, I think there's a need to be more creative in thinking about what more can be done to provide assistance to the Afghan people that goes beyond merely humanitarian aid but falls short of any type of um, uh, assistance that could uh, risk running afoul of the sanctions regime. So I think that there needs to be a there needs to be more discussions about for example, uh, healthcare workers uh, some type of fund that could be used to um, uh, you know, build roads or repair roads, you know, yeah. things like that. But it's just very risky and delicate these days because the Taliban are everywhere. You know, They control pretty much 100% of the country, and anything that you try to do to bring relief to the Afghan people, you know, there's a chance that the Taliban are going to meddle in that and try to pocket some of the funds that go toward that. That's the, that's the conundrum that uh, the U.S. government uh, faces and other governments face in trying to figure out how to navigate that difficult challenge.
0: Michael, you mentioned a lot of the great work that you and your colleagues have been doing in regard to this topic, and I just want to tell our viewers and listeners that if you come to the Wilson Center website, and you'll see the Programs tab at the top of the homepage, if you follow that to the Asia program, you'll be able to find all of these activities and resources that Michael was just alluding to. Michael, a final thought on on the Taliban regime and this government. Is there any glimmer of hope that they can become, that they can evolve and become responsible members of the international community? Or are we just biding time and trying to deal with the humanitarian crisis with the hope of some future regime change?
1: Yeah, I don't think there's much hope. The main reason for that uh, is that um, uh, the, the members of the Taliban that are fully in charge. You know, the top leaders, they're the most hardline ideological. They're the ones that have been insistent on uh, banning education for for most girls uh, and for young women in Afghanistan. I mean, the ironic thing is that, you know, you do have some Taliban leaders, including some that have important positions in Kabul, that are what one could consider relatively moderate, and that they have actually voiced concerns about these women's education bans because they care about the idea of Trying to get recognition from the international community, knowing that that could then bring in more assistance, uh, that could at least stabilize the economy a bit. But you know, we're talking about people like the interior minister, who is a member of the Haqqani network. We know the Haqqani network is a is a terrorist entity that's killed. Uh, American soldiers and done horrible things. But um, yeah, so the bottom line is that um, outside of Kabul in Kandahar, a uh, city in the south where the Taliban was first formed many years ago, it's there where the mullahs that run the group are based and they call the shots. And uh, I think that what we could perhaps hope for if you're looking for change is that uh, you know these differences, these policy differences within the group could one day lead to uh, you know, some type of dynamic that could cause internal fracturing and that could chip away at their power. The problem with that is that if that happens, you would have, um, you know, groups that would try to take advantage of that by maybe launching new, um, uh, new violent campaigns to, uh, to overthrow the Taliban. The last thing I think anyone in Afghanistan wants now is more warfare after what was almost 40 years of war until U, uh, U.S. forces left two years ago.
0: Well, uh, you know, not a pretty picture, but one that's important for us to keep talking about and for the world to keep focusing on. So, Michael Kugelman, thank you very much for your uh, insights today, but also your ongoing work on this important topic.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it, John.
0: So uh, that's all for this edition of Need to Know. We hope that you enjoyed it and that you'll join us again until next time for all of us at the Wilson Center. I'm John Molesky. Thank you for your time and interest.